Today I teach a message that I am surprised. The topic, repeat it with me before you sit down, say stunned. stunned. You may be seated. Have you ever been completely and totally stunned? Have you ever looked at your life and said, I cannot believe this happened to me? Stunned by your life, stunned by your circumstances. In our study today, we're going to look at a season that caused 12 men to be stunned. I thought it would be great to start with a question for you. What is the most surprising event in your life? If you were to chronicle for me the one event that it was the biggest surprise in your life, what would that be? And I thought for me, without much hesitation, my biggest surprise was the death of my mother in 1999. I was in Hawaii preaching, and when I, when I called back, I found out she was ill, and 80 days thereabout after that information, she passed. Stunning. I've seen a lot of people get married, come down the aisle with so much joy and spend so much money. And a few days into the relationship, stunning. Can't stand each other. She looks at him, he looks at her, because she didn't know he snored at night. <laughs> he didn't know she spent like that. Everybody say stunning. No, say like me, say stunning. When you raise children, spend all that money, give them all those free meals for all those years, and they look at you and say, I'm grown now. Say it with me, please. Stunning. Stunning. I know some of you young people, you know, you, you, when you get bills, and your own freedom, it will be what? Stunning. I'm not saying to run from it, I want you to run to it, but I'm just telling you right now, there's a lot of things that will be stunning to you. Your assumption about people, your assumption about life. Some of you look in the mirror right now and you can't believe that's the person that looks like you in that mirror. Stunning. How out of shape you become all of a sudden. Stunning. And where all your money went when you look in your checkbook. Stunning. You know, it, it, all you got to do is go to your high school reunion. It will be stunning. It's <laughs> a so goodness gracious. And then if you, you know, if you're Christian, you try not to lie. And they say, what do you think? And your brain, you say, I can't say that. Stunning. In this weekend, when we celebrate Christ's resurrection on Easter Sunday morning, you have to remember this was a stunning event. The disciples were faced with what seemed like an event that would highlight defeat for them. This was a defeated moment. They saw Jesus die, beaten, whipped, abused, and so the day after the first day of the week, Sunday morning, that's why Christians celebrate. I don't know if you know this or not. That's why the Sabbath is really on Saturday. It is from sunup to sundown. And, but, but understand, 
the reason that the church started celebrating on Sunday was because uh, that's when he rose. So every week they celebrate the resurrection. And Easter is the big celebration, the once a year big deal. And so here you have this family of people who've been together for over three and a half years, seen many miracles. He's died and Mary Magdalene wakes up early in the morning and goes out to the gravesite to see him. Because Mark 14:50 records a stunning event the night before. A few days before, she, she witnessed everybody running. In your notes, look at Mark 14:50. I gave you. Read it with me. <laughs> Excuse me, please. Read it with me, please. Say, then they all did what? Forsook him and what? Fled. Imagine that moment. Everybody's gone. Nobody's with you. Everybody ran off. Now, there was a certain young man, though, who followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young man, young men, rather, laid hold of him. I'm going to pause there. Everybody ran but one guy who was not a disciple. He, come, he came to see what was going on. Obviously, he was maybe home, and he threw on some clothes and whatever he had on. He, he, uh, it was easily, easy to snatch it away from him because when the guys who were taking Jesus away saw him, this young man we'll talk about in a minute, they grabbed his clothes and snatched them off of him, and he went running down the street trying to get away with no clothes on. This is John Mark. This is the guy who would later travel with the Apostle Paul. And a, a scholar named Lapin made a comment in his outline in the study of Mark 14, 50 through 51. And he gave three simple ways to prove it was Mark. His home life, beginning of his life at work in the church, he highlights how this guy, it was his house in Acts 12 and 12 that Peter went to and knocked on the door. And uh, he was in, if you remember, he was in prison and they had him in chains. And when Peter, the chains fell off, the angel came and the chains fell off and Peter went to Mark's house, a place where people gathered to pray. And then you see in his early life in Acts 13, 5, he's on a missionary journey. The same guy, the same guy running down the street, the same guy who was stunned by the events, the same guy who seemed like he was caught up in the midst of a big mess. But now, if you fast forward a little bit, he's now traveling and ministering. In chapter 15, verse 36, you see the same guy challenged by Paul. Paul doesn't like him too much because Paul views him as scary, because Paul was always persecuted. And John Mark just decided one day, Paul must be crazy. He, I can't travel with him anymore. And so there's a dispute between Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15 about this young man. But then later on in life, Paul comes to a different opinion in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So our last glimpse of this guy is he's profitable, Paul says, to work with. So think about it for a second. He has a stunning introduction into the Bible. 
He's running through the streets. He thought he was coming to see what was happening with Jesus because he had been one of those guys behind the scenes kind of following the disciples along. Peter had, had later called him a son in the faith. Highly respected, highly loved. And now, at the end of the Bible's record of this same guy, Paul says he's a man that you, you need to take with you. Stunning. You can start off embarrassed, end up blessed. Start off with a rough beginning and end up in a great career. It can get better. Just because it's stunning doesn't mean that you have lost. And some of you, when you get stunned, you give up, you get upset, you get frustrated. Learn from this guy. Learn from a life that was absolutely publicly humiliated. Would you, would you say with me, please, says, that's why the resurrection's important. Come on, say with me, please, come on. That's why the resurrection is important. Throughout our study today, you're going to see stunned people rise. I know that the focus is Jesus, and I'll read your text in a minute to show that, but understand, it doesn't mean anything if he's the only one who rises. If your life never changes, if you never advance, who cares about all these stories? Your life right now may be full of humiliation. You may be full of frustration. You may feel like you cannot possibly overcome the shame of your past. Even though your past was stunning to you, it was known to God. He's never shocked by anything that happened to you. He's not shocked by your children. He's not shocked by your lack or your need. He's not shocked by any of it. You're the only one that's stunned. He's prepared. And I want to show you how Jesus interacts with stunned people. Now, I want you to look with me, please, at John chapter 20 in your notes. And there's three stunned people that stand out to me in this story. And by the way, just so you'll understand what we're doing here, the Bible records in, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. Say them with me, please. Come on. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, even if you don't know the Bible, you can fake it today. You say these four things, somebody will think you really know the Bible. You ready? Say them again, please. Matthew, Luke, and John. Now, the first three are called synoptic gospels, which means they see together. And there's a symmetry between them that's fascinating. It's like if you took four guys and put them all on the stage and told them the same story. Each guy would tell it a different way, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have this tremendous tendency to tell the same story differently. Matthew's a mathematician, and so he's big in numbers. So you see all the genealogies in his book. Luke is a physician. He's very detailed. Mark is a, is a movie kind of guy to me. He's servant-focused, but he's a guy that gets you right to the point, the shortest of the Gospels. He wants to just tell you what happened. If Luke is telling you the story, Luke's going to go through, well, let me tell you what happened. They came in the door, and his leg was hurting. It was kind of swollen. It was about four inches too big. And he'll tell you all the details. Mark will say, his leg hurt. John is sort of uh, focused on God, the big God part of it. And in his description, John 20 describes what happened when Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb after the resurrection. And there's a lesson you can learn about your life. Watch this now. Verse, chapter 20 of John, verse 1. Now it says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb while it was still dark. She couldn't sleep. Got up early. There's a devil coming at me. You saw that? Swing at him a little bit. 
You know when you're preaching, things happen to you, and you just kind of flow with it. One time I was preaching, and uh, I fell down, flat on my face, in the middle of the sermon. Matter of fact, I fell from the front all the way to the back, not from the, from the pulpit to the front row of the church. And everybody in the church went, ooh. And you know what I said? I jumped up like a ninja. <laughs> you want to know the whole story? How many of you did not see me fall that time? Raise your hand. Did not? Okay. Now, here's what happened. I was talking, I was, I was preaching under the anointing. And I'll get back to this in a minute. I was preaching under the anointing. I was so anointed. And, and I was telling illustrations about Diane and, and I said something about your mama. I said your mama and I was trying to, anyway. So Diane was, uh, I was talking and when I said your mama, I, I fell at that instant. And I jumped back up and everybody waited to see if I was okay. And Diane yelled from the back of the church, that's what you get for talking about my mama. Y'all remember that's, that's what happened. It's on video. It's on video. So when I got up, I backed up a little bit further from the edge. I looked at her again. I said, your mama again. Yes, I did. But I made sure I looked where I was walking. I wanted to make sure. I believe there are times in life when Mary, like all of us, is stunned. Stunned by things that happen. Stunned by this moment, she gets up early, and here she goes. She walks out in the dark, and when she got to the, to the place where Jesus was laid, she saw that the stone had been taken away, and the body of Christ was removed. Stunning. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've, they've, they've laid him. This is stunning. Peter rises up, verse 3 of John chapter 20, and went out, and the other disciples went, were going to the tomb, so they both ran together, and the other disciples outran Peter and came to the tomb first. So you got to imagine, this is a chaotic moment. People are screaming, people are running. It's emotional. Everybody seems stunned. Everybody's out of control. They had have, they have no clue what was going on. How do you respond to those moments when you cannot explain what's going on in your life? You, you went to school, you sacrificed, you did everything you can do, but you still can't explain why you're here. Why, why would they do this? They get there, and here's what happens, verse 5 of John chapter 20. He, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. And went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. I love verse 7. Look at this. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Jesus was neat even when he rose from the dead. Okay, you don't have to get into that. <laughs> For as yet they did not know the scripture. They didn't have a clue. And John records this and says they did not know that he must rise again from the dead. Therefore, the disciples went to their homes and they were all confused, all stunned. Not only did we lose him, but we don't know what, where to find him and what to do. 
How do you manage those moments when you're completely and totally lost? Well, and a stunning thing happens to Mary. Chapter 20, verse 11. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down, looking into the tomb, and she saw two angels and white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, this is the record of John expanding on what happened in the previous text we looked at. And I want you to notice with me, here's what, here's what she says. They said to her, verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? Now, John describes just that part of it. Luke, and this is not in your notes, so write this down. Luke chapter 24, verse 5. This is important. Luke 24, 5. There's a statement that the angels make that only Luke records. Here's what he says. As they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he's risen. Remember, he spoke to you. He told you about this. In moments when you're frustrated, in moments when you're stunned, you forget things. In moments when you can't figure out all the things that are going on in your life, you can misjudge the moment. This was not a surprise. It should not have been a surprise. He said it a lot, but they didn't, they didn't remember it. How many things has God made really clear to you? Now, in John chapter 20, verse 21, back to your notes again, Jesus makes a, a, a stunning appearance. And I believe he makes a stunning statement, too. But I want you to look at John chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, now this is when Jesus appears to them after his resurrection. First thing he says is, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. It's no longer my turn, it's your turn. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he makes this incredible statement to them. Remember, they're shell-shocked. They're stunned. He died, now he's risen from the dead, and he looks at them and he says these words, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now here's what that means. You, are, you guys are the ones who are going to lead people to forgiveness. Your main assignment is to help other people find hope and wholeness. That's the assignment he gave them. So please notice right away, he says, focus, gentlemen, and think beyond being stunned. Think beyond all this happened this week and remember the bigger picture. The bigger picture is winning other people. The bigger picture picture of this guiding people to wholeness. Now, Now, if you're not careful, you'll miss that. And from all of this, you learn, I believe, three interesting lessons about how to respond to a stunning moment. Repeat this with me, please. Say, do what you can. If you do what you can, God will meet you there. You don't have to have it all figured out. These guys were told to do what they knew to do. Just do that. If you're on a job, you're working in an environment, you don't know the answers, you're stunned by the way your life is going, you, don't, you, don't, you can't, can't, quite, can't quite figure it out, it's okay. Just do what you can. Secondly, define what you can. Say that with me, please, come on. Define what you can. You can't define everything. You, 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 you're trying to figure out everything in your life and it's impossible. It may take you another five years to nail it down. 
So do what you can, define what you can. If something's happening in your life and you can't figure it out, just keep going. You're gonna feel stunned, but keep going. And here's the third thing you do, wait until you can see. Now, let me ask you, have there been times in your life when you were stunned and you were, you were so consumed with being stunned and you told everybody, I'm stunned, I don't know what happened, I'm surprised, my life is full of stunning moments. I, and you tell everybody about all the things and you just get paralyzed. You just freeze. And you refuse to try anything until you figure everything out. There are times in this job I don't know what to do next. So I just do what I know. There are times when it's time to preach. I don't have a sermon. So I just start reading. I start where I am. You see, some of you, you're missing it. You're praying for success. You're reading all these books. You, you got all these self-help books. You've read all the positive verses. You quote all the positive sayings. But you're not doing anything. Because you're waiting on things to be defined for you perfectly. You're waiting for things to be ironed out for you perfectly. Listen, it may take you five years of blindness to get to one year of light. You may have to walk like this for a while and say, well, let me feel my way. Let me just see if I can find my way. Am I close to the edge? Am I close? Am I close? I can't see it. I'm pinky. Don't worry. I ain't crazy. You know, just, <laughs> you, know, just you know what I'm saying? But, but you have to walk blind for a little bit. Sometimes you're raising children and, you know, they're fine first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, things start tipping. Sometimes you, parents, you're going to be blind through the ninth grade. You're not going to know exactly what to say, how to say it, but you do what you can. You define what you can and you wait until you can see. But I promise you, the whole message of the resurrection is I died and rose and you can die and you can rise. It's all about holding on and he will get you there. See, understand, none of this matters if you don't rise. The whole message of the resurrection is Romans chapter 6. He died to the old life and now he's saying you can rise like I rose. Whatever it is that has you lost and confused, it's okay. His model for all of us is, I won and you're going to win. Now, that would be a phenomenal day to wake up one day and be a resurrected person. Can you imagine tomorrow going into work and there's a glow on your face. Can you imagine what it would be like to go home and release your wife or your husband from whatever they did wrong to you? Wouldn't it be wonderful to just rise above and leave in the ground all those things were wrong in your life and saying, God, I trust you. I can't see everything. I can't define everything. I'm in the dark right now, but it's okay. I don't have to know. I don't have to see. All I know is what you said. And if you said it to me, I'm going to rise and I will win in the end. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me, church. It's all about being clear about that. But the problem is, the things that stun us consume us. And I listed seven things that stun us. And they tend to keep consuming our minds every day. Some of you are stunned by the condition of your own heart. Something's changed in you. You're amazed at how off you can be. It amazes me. I can be in a conversation and a person can say one thing to me. One thing and throw me off. I'll give you an example. Let's pretend you don't like this sermon. Okay? That's okay. If you were preaching, I might not like your sermon either. That makes two of us. 
So here's the deal. People will come up to you after this sermon and say, I don't think I like this sermon. Now, what am I supposed to say to that? I normally say go back. I don't know. I haven't heard that a lot. But, I, but every now and then you get a comment. Have you ever heard a person say one negative thing to you? And it's, it just, aren't you shocked at how angry you get? I mean, I've been stunned at how surprised. I mean, I was in the airport and a guy, it was, I, I, I always tell the story, it's amazing. A guy got really loud and really ugly because he thought I cut him in the line. I didn't even see the line. I didn't see the line. It was, you know, they were, they were lined up back here and I was coming in this way and I didn't see the line. So I walked to the counter. I didn't think, I didn't think there was a line. So I walked up to the counter and the guy started yelling at me. Like he wants to fight over a line. Now see, in that moment, I needed to be resurrected. I needed red, <laughs> resurrection power. Look, there's no problem. No problem. I didn't see the line. I'll, I'll get to the back of the four people line. It's no big deal. We'll all get there together. It's all good. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm stunned sometimes at the condition of our children. Going to public schools or any school and watching our children in school is stunning. I'm reading this new book, right? And the book is about, about being happy. And, and what, one of the things the book talks about is it says, you know, it's, it's uh, and somebody said, what's the name of the book? It's, I, I don't know, it's, it's on being happy. I, I forgot the name of the book, but I'll see if I can find it for you really quick. But the book talks about being happy. And in this, in this conversation about being happy, it, it, uh, it, it, um, it really spoke to me because it said that when you're happy, you act different. Happy people act different. And one of the things that spoke to me was, he said that when a person is happy, they, they tend to make a decision, a bold decision. I'm not going to allow myself to be controlled by a moment. I'm going to be happy and believe that my happiness will bring me great moments. And I'm, I'm so stunned at how easily my happiness gets snatched away. And I'm frustrated and I'm struggling and I'm trying to find my way and I can't find my way. And I'm overly consumed. I look at my children when they were young. If, if they did anything in school that wasn't perfect, I wasn't happy. I'm stunned at how easily, when I look at our children, how easily they get distracted. And how much that's affected me. It's amazing, and it's stunning. You send your kids to school, and, and I remember in this, in this book that one of the things the guy said was he said, he went to South Africa, and the students in a very poor part of town, and he said the kids were happy to be in school. And he said something that was powerful. He said um, they, were, they viewed school as a privilege. See, most of you don't realize Education is not free all over the world. You can't be everything you want to be all over the world. You can't pick your career and be what you want to be all over the world. And so these kids in these poor homes were excited about being chosen to go to school. So they focused on their work. They didn't have to be disciplined in class. And it is overwhelming and stunning when you go to our schools. And you hear kids using foul language. You hear kids cursing out teachers. You hear kids... You, you, you see, good teachers want to give up on teaching. And, and I want to say to you kids, if you're here, listen to me. You, you need to really hear what they say is going to be your future. It's stunning. Here, look at me, kids. 
if you are in the, if you're somewhere between the ages of 13, uh, uh, middle school, high school, here's what they say. You will be the poorest generation in a long time. They say you're going to have to live with your parents way longer than any generation before you. They say you will not. Now, that doesn't have to be true for you. But they say if you continue to do what you do, and here, here's the big deal. For churches, these are the people that are going to take over your churches. You better get out of debt because they're not going to give. Oh, this church is going out of debt. Let me tell you right now, we're moving fast, praise God, because we're not going to uh-uh, no. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap, no. Mm-mm. I'll rent this again in Jesus' name. We're going to build, but we're going to build smart, and we're going to raise more money than we ever raised in our life, and you're going to come to my May meeting excited. Come on, give God a big hand. Come on, you coming to my May meeting excited? No tricks up my sleeve, just tell you the truth. But it's stunning. Children, you need to hear me. You need to hear me. You need to hear me loudly today. Your, your, your future. You look at, look at our single parents. It's stunning. 60 to 70% of babies are going to be born as single parents. Stunning. The poorest in the world are the women and the children. Stunning. You can't afford. A woman, a woman cannot afford to be silly. You can't afford it, girl. It's too expensive. You've got to be smart. You've got to be on top of your game. Come on, if you hear me, you've got to get it together. I'm doing this prison tour right now, and one of the things they told me was interesting. Most of the women that are in prison are in prison because of a guy. I love, I love, I love Bob. I love George. <laughs> you go to jail for Bob and George, too. Locked up. It's nothing like talking to hundreds of ladies who are in prison because of some guy. Choices. Stunning. When I look at the condition of our relationships, paid all that money to get married, amazing. The condition of our lack of love for life. Lack of love for life, the condition of our physical bodies, don't even start that argument. The condition of our finances, all I can say is wow. Work every day, sacrifice every day. Give all this effort and all this energy. It's time to take charge of our life. The condition of our spiritual lives. I wrote a lady the other day, she, she did a wonderful article, she's a PhD and, um, and her focus is on church bankruptcies. And I emailed her the other day, I read some of her work and I emailed her and said thank you for your work, it was really wonderful and, and very insightful. She emailed me back and uh, it was powerful. And I, and I don't know her, never met her before. And she, she was, it was powerful because she was talking about the condition of churches financially, overextending themselves. She, and it was powerful. She said, most churches, most churches that go into bankruptcy don't go into bankruptcy because they, have, they don't have enough assets. She said, in most small businesses, when the business goes out of business, small business goes out of business or files for bankruptcy, they end up, they have, a, they have fewer assets. For example, they have $100,000 in assets and $200,000 in debt. A church is the opposite. They have $200,000 in assets and $100,000 or $50,000 in debt. And you would think, well, you could make it. No, you know why they can't make it? Mortgage payments. Their, their expenses are too high. Stunning. The true condition of people 
People who know God, it's stunning what happens to them. If you can step back for a minute and say to yourself, God, is that me? Am I going down a path that's going to put me in a place I don't want to be? Is our church going in the right direction? Are we focused on the right things? Are we committed to the right goals? I don't want people to look at us later on and say, they could not finish. I've decided in my life, I don't want to be an average person. I don't want an average blessing. I want people to look at me and be stunned at the blessing of God in my life. Stunned at how happy my marriage is. Stunned at how sound my kids are. I want them to say, that is a stunningly honest man. He's so honest, it's stunning. See, that can go, it, it can turn on you and become a positive thing. But you got to hear what Jesus said. I'm the key to that. I close with one verse. This is what he said in Luke chapter 4. This is what he said in verse 18. I love this. He cho he's chosen me, Jesus said, to preach the message of good news. It's not about bad news. People have enough bad news. I came to preach good news to poor people, people who don't have everything. He sent me to announce a pardon and to prisoners. Now, that really speaks to me these days as I go to prisons. I came to give people who've been bound hope to set the burden and battered free to announce this is God's year to act. God's goal in your life is to act on your behalf. Imagine a year from now looking back and saying, I'm stronger, I'm better, I'm wiser, I'm healthier. Imagine a new future. I don't care where your life has been. It's time for you to rise with the Lord Jesus. He rose on the third day. You've been waiting long enough. It's time for you to rise up, be victorious. Come on, say amen. It's time to change your life. It's time to be different. It's time to stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's time, it's time to stop being depressed. It's time to shake it off and say, it happened. It's in my past. I kick it behind me in the name of Jesus, and I'm going that way. I don't care what I did wrong. I don't care who I did wrong. I don't care how much money I lost. I'll make more money. I don't care if I'm not as handsome as I used to be. I'll shine myself up, and I'll be handsomer in the future. But I will not spend another day acting like I'm in the grave. He rose on the third day, and I'm rising with him. Come on, shout amen if you're hearing me. Father, let this be the prayer of your people today. Let this be the moment when they declare before you that they will not allow the past to hold them down. They've been stunned by life, stunned by surprises, stunned, shocked. But, oh God, today they rise. Today they rise with their Savior from the grave of disappointment, from the grave of frustration. They rise from the grave of shame. They rise. And I want you to look at me and I want you to hear this prayer. I want to make a statement to you and I want to continue this prayer, but I want you to look at me. The whole reason the enemy tricks you to do things is to shame you. When you're alone by yourself, you can't be at peace. You're ashamed of your choices. You're ashamed of your children. You're ashamed of your job. You're ashamed of your financial situation. You're ashamed. Don't even want to go shopping for clothes because you're ashamed. Embarrassed. It's always something. Gets on my nerves. 
Every day something's trying to bug me. This is wrong with you, Ricky. That's wrong with you. The sermon didn't connect. You should study harder. You should put on a better looking suit. Your hair not combed. Something. Always something. Your feet hurt. It's always something. Every now and then, you got to speak back. You may be stunned, but that's okay. You are a resurrected person. Jesus rose from the dead, and he said, in Romans 6, you rise with him. And I want you to start thinking like a resurrected person. Every day of my life, and somebody said this to me the other day. They said, Ricky Temple, your life is so good. What could be wrong in your life? You got a church with a lot of people. You make a decent salary. You drive a nice car. You got a nice house. I thought, man, are you kidding me? I get stunned just like you. Every day of my life. And so I want you right now, if you're here today and you thought your life couldn't change, I want to pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're in this room and you realize that you're watching from home, you're streaming in, and you realize that your life needs to change, you want this resurrected Savior in your life, you want your life to have another level of blessing, he died on the cross and rose from the grave for you so that your sins could be forgiven, so that your life can start again. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I want you to pray for me that that would happen in my life, that I can leave this church service today changed and inspired, that this Easter Sunday would be my Sunday to rise. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Just put your hand up. Let me see you. Put your hands up high. I want to see you. Keep them up there for me. Keep them up there for me. Keep them up for me. Keep your hands up. Keep them up. Keep them up for me. Count them up for me. I see a lot of people. Keep them up. Praise God. Keep those hands. And leave those hands up while I pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every hand that's lifted. That the hand of God would be strong upon them. That the power of the living God would bring healing to their life. They leave this place changed. Victorious. We thank you that you, you died for their forgiveness. So they now can be free. And I give you all the praise and all the glory for them. In the name above all names. In Jesus' name. Can you all say amen? Can you give the Lord a big hand clap and a big praise for everybody who prayed that prayer with me today? In the name of Jesus. I hope today you leave happy. It would be a shame for you to dress up and come here and hear this message and allow yourself to leave in the same condition. God loves you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to wait till you get your life together. He'll help you get it together. All you have to do is start with what you have. Define things later. Just walk forward toward God and he'll help you see. You can't see it all, but he'll help you see. And it's okay that you don't know everything. I know I'm right. And I promise you, if you try this and you really stick with it, he'll help you. He'll surround you with people that can help you. And so, Father, I declare by faith on your people's lives a blessing today, a blessing of faith and confidence, a blessing, blessing that will lead them to a new place of wholeness. Thank you for the chance to touch them today. In the name of Jesus and everybody, one more time, shout amen. Come on, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.